to another episode of ST Talks. I'm Laura Demmer, your host, and today I'm here with Jocelyn Johnson, one of the leading managers for ST Genetics EcoFeed program, Mitch Hockett, ST Genetics Director of Farm Fit Products, and Kevin Zimba, ST Genetics Eastern U.S. Sales Manager. And today, this group is here to walk us through the exciting release of ST Genetics' new EcoFeed indexes, EcoFeed Heifer and EcoFeed Cow. Before we get started, I just want to thank you all for taking the time to be with us today. To start, Jocelyn, um, can you just briefly give us the history on how EcoFeed got started and when it was first released? It's been a while now. So ST Genetics uh, started feed conversion testing in 2012. So our CEO, Juan Moreno, um, has always seen that the future of you know both the beef and dairy uh, breeding programs would involve feed conversion efficiency because it's so important to the bottom uh, line for producers. And so back in 2012, they installed some of the first systems and started collecting feed intake information um, and beef, and then later added into the dairy industry. So they started collecting Holstein heifer information in 2014. So with all that data, they released the first uh, eco feed evaluation in 2017. Um, and since then, we've continued to add phenotypic data to the database, as well as adding uh, testing for lactating cows and beef on dairy animals. Um, and in 2021, released genomic evaluations for uh, EcoFeed and beef on dairies. And then this year, releasing the uh, EcoFeed information, so that feed conversion information for lactating cows. Very exciting and a lot. Uh, to really happen in the five years since that Holstein information was released. So, Mitch, can you just tell us, in your opinion, what did this initial release of EcoFeed mean for the industry? Yeah, I think it's an exciting time. We know feed costs are the number one cost that our dairies face. And to have the ability uh, to focus from a genetic standpoint on ways to reduce that cost on a per animal basis by making them more efficient. It's a, a real win for the industry as a whole. Uh, and it, it's really the first time we've been able to do that. You know, we've made tremendous genetic progress on the production side and become more efficient that way, but not directly on selecting for genes tied to efficiency and how animals use the nutrients they take in. So I, I think it's a real win. Definitely. And Kevin, I mean, you work with producers every single day. How was EcoFeed perceived in the industry? Yeah, I think uh, at the very beginning when EcoFeed uh, was first uh, introduced to the industry, you know, um, the world was just starting to uh, grasp the concept of feed conversion efficiency. So it was a very new topic and almost like a, a research trait for a lot of dairy producers. And so over time, um, that has progressed to more discussions and acceptance. But in the beginning, I think it was a little bit more of a let's wait and see um, how this um, adapts into the industry. So Jocelyn, when did the conversation to make this, these new indexes come to fruition um, for heifers and cows? How did the collection process change, the data change, and just how did the development happen for this? Yeah, so the goal of this program was always to be able to quantify um, feed conversion over, you know, the animal's lifetime. So 
that we can select and identify those animals that are, you know, productive and, and doing all the other things that we want them to be doing, but doing it efficiently. And so um, the start of this kind of was shifted to collecting data in heifers. Uh, because collecting data in lactating cows is more complex. And so the idea was to see if, if we could collect that data in our heifer program um, and it be indicative of efficiency across the animal's entire lifetime. We knew pretty early on that, that it would be better to have data collected from both. And so um, even though we were just releasing data for lactating cows, we actually started uh, attempting to phenotype lactating cows in 2017. So it's not something that, you know, we just started doing. We saw the value early on, but when, when we look at this, we also can see that heifer feed conversion, you know, is the number two cost that a dairy farm um, is going to have in order to produce milk. And that lactating feed cost is going to be that number one cost. And so we really want to be able to capture those two very you know high expense periods of an animal's lifetime um, and so starting with the heifer data it's just a lot simpler to collect data in in those growing heifers but we then bring in that cow information and then we have to think how are these two going to tie together so that we can um, really capture that lifetime efficiency and so I wouldn't say that there was really a change in the data collection um, from the beginning. You know, a lot of these practices were set that this is our goal, um, but kind of the, the mindset of, you know, are we going to have separated uh, evaluations for heifer and cow, or do we combine that all into one um, has, has been talked about a lot over the years. And, and at this time, the decision was that we want to be able to release that information separately. So that depending on a producer's uh, specific production system, they can, you know, maybe put more or less emphasis on different areas that matter more to them. Um, but in the long term, we really want these indexes to be used together uh, to where we're able to improve both that lifetime feed conversion, uh, which is going to improve profitability and reduce that methane emissions across the lifetime of the animal. So you had said that the collection process really didn't change, but obviously with a cow in lactation, you're collecting it while she's milking. Um, what part of lactation are you, are you collecting this data in? And I guess what was your decision to collect during that, um, like during those days in milk? Yeah, great question. So when we think about trying to develop a new breeding value, um, really the phenotype is kind of the king in the situation, right? We wanna get as many phenotypes as possible um, to be able to provide accurate uh, genomic predictions. And so when we, when we look at a 300 you know, and five say lactation period, that's a long time um, to collect data. And so our goal was to maximize the feed intake system that we had to where we could get the most number of animals phenotyped um, with the most accurate information. And so, so there's been some literature that indicates that that mid-lactation period um, is the most correlated with feed conversion across the entire uh, 
lactation. And so we decided to go in and target that mid-lactation. So we're looking at about 120 to 240 days in milk um, is kind of our area that we are going to actually measure that feed intake um, information in to get that individual animal feed conversion. So we are measuring um, feed conversion across the whole lactation or uh, during the early or late stages for some animals. Uh, more at this point in time from like a research perspective to be able to answer some of the questions of what are those correlations and so forth. But but the primary data that's feeding into this genomic evaluation is going to be that uh, feed intake information from 120 to 240 days in milk, because we know that that has a high correlation with the 305 day um, feed efficiency of that animal. So along these lines, um, just explaining this index a little bit more, can you explain the heritability of EcoFeed? Absolutely. So EcoFeed uses a trait uh, called residual feed intake. And so this trait's been, been researched as, as a tool for genomic selection for a long time. Um, and just as we expected based on the literature, we know that this trait, um, so our EcoFeed, is heritable to the same extent as those production traits. So in our uh, Current data set, our heritability is 0.24, and that's going to be uh, pretty much the same or maybe a, a touch higher than those production traits like milk, protein, fat. And so with that, we know that we can make selection decisions uh, with the same amount of confidence to expect, you know, generational change to where if we make a selection decision for EcoFeed today, you know, within that first generation, we expect to see changes um, and I kind of like to, when we're talking about this with folks, just use the example of, you know, the industry has been selecting for, you know, say milk and components for a long time and look how much progress we've made in that. And this is a trait that has the same heritability as those. And so how exciting is it that, you know, we know that we're going to be able to achieve that, that same progression through selection of this trait. Definitely. What a great comparison. So just Changing gears a little bit, um, Mitch, how do you think this uh, new release will affect the industry this time? Um, you know, I really believe it's going to give the industry more confidence in uh, EcoFeed as a trait. Um, we already saw that uh, many producers were benefiting from this trait and using it as part of their selection criteria. And those who maybe weren't, one of the questions that we often heard was, well, th these data uh, the first eco-feed trait was generated from heifer data. So how does that relate to my milking herd? And I think now, um, given that we have both available and we're able to address lifetime profit, as Jocelyn mentioned, it's just going to uh, increase the confidence that producers can have that the selection that they're making in heifers or in cows is leading to more profit across the life of the animal. And, and we know that those two are actually positively correlated. So it even strengthens the argument that uh, both of these uh, add value and, and should increase confidence of the, the ones using it. So Kevin, what have you been hearing from the producers you work with day in and day out on this new release of EcoFeed Cow and EcoFeed Heifer? Uh, yeah, I think uh, the EcoFeed cow uh, data has really sparked a great deal of interest uh, amongst producers. Um, 
you know, they looked at eco-feed heifers, uh, as I stated before, as as more of a let's watch and, and see how that impacts uh, our heifer raising cost. But with the cow side, um, knowing that they can look at a pen of cows, uh, say 200 cows in a pen, and be able to determine which cows may be able to produce the same amount of milk or even a greater amount of milk or fat and protein with needing less feed to convert that, um, that's a game changer. And um, you know, just, just recently, even Jocelyn and I uh, spoke with a relatively large producer over uh, a conference call. And it was amazing to hear how that producer was already uh, introducing EcoFeed into their sire selection and uh, the genetic progress model for their, their females. Because as Jocelyn indicated, this, this trait has a relatively high heritability and uh, falls in line with production traits. And so now as dairies can actually say, now I know more information, I've unlocked the genetic potential for feed conversion, I can add that to my selection tools, you know, to, to further genetic progress, not only for production traits, but also for feed conversion efficiency through eco feed and the residual feed intake behind the scenes. That's great news that, you know, those producers are giving you that information and relaying that back to you guys. Um, so I guess speaking on producers, Jocelyn, can you explain how a, how a dairy producer can read and use the EcoFeed heifer and EcoFeed cow index? I sure can. So we, in releasing the EcoFeed cow index, our, our goal was to keep the interpretation of um, our scaling the same so that you can read the heifer index the same as you can read the cow index uh, to just make this easier uh, to implement for producers. And so when we're looking at the scale of EcoFeed, um, if we're looking each point of that EcoFeed is going to represent 0.1 pounds of dry matter that we expect that animal to consume less or more than another. And so if we look at that just simply and, and we, again, it's the same for heifer and cow. So if we found a heifer EcoFeed of 110, we know that based on that breeding value, she's expected to consume one pound less than an animal that has an ecofeed of 100. And if you compared her to an animal with an ecofeed of a 90, then you expect her to consume two pounds less and so forth. Um, and so we can just kind of look at that both from a heifer and a cow perspective and just easily, you know, have that estimate of what that feed savings is going to be uh, moving forward. But the general idea is just that the greater the number, um, the more feed efficient, higher feed conversion that animal has. And so we want to select those animals that are going to have um, a high eco-feed value along with those other traits we're interested in. Definitely a very straightforward tool. So Mitch, compared to other industry feed conversion tools, how does eco-feed perform or compare? You know, that's a good question, Laura, and I think it's it's a different, difficult one to answer, and uh, there's no side-by-side -side comparisons uh, of uh, performance, but when you look at uh, simply just the heritability alone, to me, is an interesting comparison. Um, the, the 
primarily other uh, index that would be available is feed save from CDCB uh, with a reported heritability of around 14%, which would mean that it's less controlled really by genetics and, and more heavily influenced by environment. And I think that uh, any of us that are investing in genetics for genetic progress sake would, would prefer to select on traits that are more highly heritable so that we know that we're getting the benefit of that investment in the genetics that we're making. And I think that that's the first thing that I would look at, just comparing this index to, to anything else that's out there. Um, our uh, eco-feed indices really are tied to um, what, what they're normalized for, uh, the size of the animal or the level of production uh, to enable even a, a small animal or a large animal uh, can have genetics that are tied to efficiency or, or that are showing that they are efficient. Whereas feed saved uh, has both the residual feed intake um, component, but also uh, body weight composite, which is penalizing animals that are large um, and, and uses things like stature as part of the calculation. And so the net impact will be that maybe you are both selecting for residual feed intake, but also for smaller frame size with the end goal being to reduce the maintenance uh, requirements. There's no negative uh, penalization for animals uh, that become too small or too frail in that model, uh, which could be a potential problem uh, that could result. And I think it's also important to note how vast this program is for ST genetics. So Mitch or Jocelyn, I'm not sure which one of you would want to take this question, but can you just share with us like the number of sites we're collecting on, how many animals are within this program on a yearly basis, um, and just how much data we're truly collecting in order to put these indexes out? I can definitely take that one. Um, so we collect data for our dairy program, for our dairy eco-feed um, at one location currently um, at our Ohio Heifer Center. We are also collecting eco-feed data in our beef on dairy calves, um, which I know is not the specific topic for today, um, but between both of those locations, we are phenotyping 2,500 animals um, on any given day. And so that gives us the ability to, to phenotype uh, close to uh, 7,000 animals a year if, if we are um, at full capacity. So we're trying to grow the program uh, with, with no plans to stop phenotyping, um, as these phenotypes are going to be what drives uh, the accuracy and you know, reliability of, of these predictions. Thank you for that. So Kevin, um, next, I just, I guess I'm wondering, how would you recommend producers utilize the new indexes in their genetic selections? You kind of started talking about it before, but if you could just expand on that, I would appreciate it. Sure, sure. I think, uh, you know, we're going to continue to learn uh, what the best practice is for a dairy to utilize this, this new metric, you know, as part of their selection criteria. But, you know, a lot of our dairies are focusing heavily on, you know, combined fat and protein, whether it be uh, an index like net merit or TPI as their, their primary first sort for uh, genetic selection, along with health traits like productive life and DPR. So bottom line is what, whatever it is that that dairy is using as the, the 
metrics that are important to their genetic selection, they, they should continue to use that. And, and one of the biggest reasons is that we know that there's no correlation between uh, ecofeed and these other uh, traits. So they can with confidence say, hey, I'm going to keep my primary selection criteria. But now when I'm down to say seven or eight sires uh, to consider, I can use ecofeed as my, my final selection criteria. Um, and with the information, you know, that they have for ecofeed, you know, it's easy to say, well, I have, you know, eight or nine bulls that have met my criteria, but these uh, four or five are, are above um, 100 on the scaling uh, for ecofeed. So I, I should choose those sires um, because they're going to give me that genetic progress for all of the traits that, that are going to lead to a more profitable cow uh, in the future. And, um, you know, I think it's really important, Mitch alluded to the fact about um, uh, body size and body weight. Um, we have more dairies now that are concerned that there is uh, a little added selection pressure on smaller frame size. And granted, we do not want large, but it, this is probably a trait that you know, a lot of dairies are concerned, you know, hey, we don't want them too big, but we don't want them too small either. And how do we find a middle ground? And, um, you know, using traits like production, um, you know, whatever confirmation traits along with ecofeed um, is going to give that dairy a, a balanced profile uh, to select their cows for. And, and down the road, as a herd actually makes some uh, serious genetic progress for ecofeed, they may find that they have outliers in their population uh, for ecofeed, and then they can actually drive greater selection uh, pressure for some of those females or males as well. Definitely. Well, just to wrap this up, Jocelyn, um, a similar question to Kevin's, but what what, in your opinion, is the practical way a producer can look at the, at the new ecofeed indexes? And I guess are you know are the outputs um, normalized or considered in the in ecofeed or not? Like, what should producers know about this index when they are selecting? So the way that we uh, calculate ecofeed or come up with a residual feed intake. Um, is that we account for the animal's body size and production. And so by doing that, uh, this trait is not correlated to those things. So selecting an animal with, for ecofeed doesn't give you any indication on what their body size or outputs would be. Uh, but just like Kevin was saying, that allows us to then go in and select those outputs that we're looking for or that body size that we're trying to target. Um, and within those constraints, find the animals that do it efficiently. And so we have lots of examples where we can see, you know, a larger animal that may be more feed efficient than a smaller animal, even though, you know, the general idea is that larger animals are going to require more inputs. Um, and so so it kind of allows us to just go in there, select for those outputs that we're looking for, and do it with the least amount of feed resources necessary. Um, and by doing that, that's going to you know, reduce our, our uh, feed bill, 
improve the profitability of the farm and reduce that methane emissions um, to improve that sustainability side of things as well. Fantastic. Well, I just want to thank you all again for joining us today and for giving us all this great information on ST Genetics new feed conversion index, EcoFeed Cow and EcoFeed Heifer. Thanks for having us, Laura. This was another episode of ST Talks. If you liked what you heard, you can find more episodes on your favorite podcast platform by searching ST Talks or ST Genetics. And if you want to learn more about ST Genetics, visit our website at stgen.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. 